Peace to you. Welcome back to the Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. It's a Saturday night, so we're going to pick up where we left off in the Gospels, the book of John, chapter 8. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So, talking about Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, and he's on the move, an area called the Mount of Olives. Verse 2. I'd suggest using uh, one of those Old Testament maps if you want to get an idea of the scenery. Verse 2. Now, early in, and you can find it online for free. Just do a search for that Old Testament map. Verse 2. How Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So he's shown up basically for church. You know, it's not a church, literally. The religion Jesus was born into is not the same so-called religion that Jesus preaches. Um, so it was the temple. That's where the people go to worship and supposedly get closer to God, where people go to seek God. That's where Jesus has shown up at. And he sat down and started teaching. Verse 3, Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, so people we're talking about are the scribes and Pharisees. The scribes are the people who write, sort of like modern day mainstream media. They write down what's happening in the times. Um, the Pharisees are the religious authorities of the day. They are of the same religion Jesus was born into, Judaism, one of the religions mentioned in the Bible, not the first, not the only, but one of them. And the Pharisees specifically are a sect of that religion that um, was around during Jesus' time. And Jesus also prophesied about them and their end. Um, and it came true. And around 70 AD, the um, city and the Pharisees, they were gone. It was kaput. Um, one other thing about the scribes and them sort of being like the mainstream media crazy as it seems and sort of like in my own mind says to me there is some sort of omnipotent eye that's watching things and seeing how things are turning out and how things will go god in other words um however you may think of god as existing i know one must exist because with all the different issues that have um You've seen, uh, we've gone through on these different platforms um, as far as being on them, such as like with Twitch, um, having the name Hung T Girl and being on that platform for just about two years and then suddenly getting blocked from that platform. And with the reason being because of my screen name, that couldn't possibly actually be the reason since that's the same screen name I had from when I started on that platform and the same thing with the other one YouTube um, not the same um, uh, circumstances with the same outcome being blocked on it when all I was doing on both of those is the same thing we're doing here just reading through what the Bible actually says and trying to get an understanding of it say all that because the word scribes um, calls to mind the media and believe it or not strange as it seems just about a week ago um, the local news reporters were at the grocery store where I go and just randomly, if you want to think of things as being random, um, there was a reporter there asking um, 
opinions about some of the um, governmental issues that are going on uh, in Florida. And she asked me. And so long story short, I was on the news, on TV, crazy as that seems. Uh, if you want to look it up, it was about a week ago. I didn't even know if they would even use the clip. But um, a friend of mine says he saw it on the live TV news when uh, the same day as the uh, interview happened. And I only mention all that again because the scribes makes me think of the media and the news. And um, so you can look it up for yourself, but um, it was on, it was, uh, I didn't really think about what I could say. So I feel like I could have said more. And um, I don't know. Anyway, verse four, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. So what the what they're doing is they act as the law enforcement of the religion that, again, Jesus was born into, but not the same belief system that Jesus preached. Um, and part of their religion is um, working with the uh, governmental authority to herd the people, to rule over the people and keep people with a, a single-minded way of thinking and conforming. Um, and that's what they do. And the way that they do it is with religion. And then if you um, offend in a religion, what's generally thought of as sin, then they cite when you do that. And then you have to pay what they cite you the same way you um, the laws tell you what the speed limit is. If you're caught breaking those speed limits, then there's an authority that's allowed, empowered to stop you and cite you for it and tell you how much you have to pay or what the circumstances will be. Um, uh, I'm sorry, consequences will be. That's the same way that the Pharisees operate. And uh, like we read to it when these the rules were laid out, even when it was started to become a business from almost near the beginning of it back in the Old Testament, uh, the people who were laying down the laws are largely exempt from the laws. And that's sort of what I talked about with the reporter when they asked, um, I mean, you may not realize it, but Florida, if you want to think of um, it, the people who represent it, um, I don't know how good you can think of it. They say they're Christian and they say they're conservative and say they're right wing politically re re political Republicans, but their actions say otherwise. There's one, I won't mention names because God only knows how they may feel like retaliating, and that's already exists in another sense already beyond it. But uh, we have there's one that's um, accused of being a part of the largest uh, case of Medicare fraud in history, in American history, not just Florida history, but American history. He's not in jail. He was elected to office and reelected, and he's representing some of the people. He's not even the worst of them. The other one, obviously the president, the previous president, who's being indicted again and again and again for the different things that he did on TV. I mean, some of those crimes that he is accused of committing. We saw them unfold on TV before the um, culmination of them, like with January 6th. So it's not like uh, there's not evidence, and yet it drags really slowly when you don't really want to hold some people's feet to the fire, he's not even the worst of it. Then there's the governor 
who uh, used, according to the reports, according to the previous president, uh, used uh, public money um, to finance moving people from the Mexican border with the United States and moving them to other states to make a political statement. He's not in jail yet either. It's amazing. And uh, he's not even the worst of it. There's another one who is uh, was suspected of uh, even though they all say they're right wing and are against things like reproductive freedoms and personal decisions on what you do with your reproductive organs, there's one who is accused of, was accused of, suspected of, or is linked to, however you want to think of it, um, also trafficking people, underage children, girls, and even though they say they're against uh, those reproductive rights, According to the reports that led that, uh, again, he's not in jail either. The, all of the investigations into them and any consequences, tangible punishments seem to just disappear. Another one who's linked to that, all of that provided morning after pills at the, uh, according to the reports of the suspicions surrounding him, uh, morning after pills, that's birth control pills, um, Actually, it's sort of like abortion pills more accurately um, at the different uh, parties, if you want to call them that, that he would host for the victims and the other elites invited to take part in molesting the children, basically grooming. And you don't have to take my word for any of those. Just search on the details and you'll see who pops up to fill in the blanks of who um, they represent while you're searching, if you feel like searching and seeing what happens in American politics in general and the people who thump their Bibles and have you looking straining out a net and swallowing a camel straining out a net in the sense that they're trying to put a microscope on people who are trans only 3% at most of the entire population meaning if you meet 100 people today maybe three of them will be trans some of them may not have even physically transitioned and some of them may not even have even accepted that they are trans so may not have taken any steps to physically transition at all some of them are so passable you wouldn't even know it um most of those are the female to male transgender people um but still considering all of those only three out of a hundred people are even trans and yet a microscope is being put on them at three percent while uh they swallow a camel that what's actually being done by some of those same people who are elected to office and thought the bible about being right-wing and christian and all of that sorry to go off on that just figured i'd mention it to you in case you want to see again um that's how these are the people we're talking about way back then um, but it relates to how they are represented in modern times. It's also the mainstream media and religion herding the people into some belief systems. In the case of what we're reading about here, they've caught some woman in the act of adultery. Um, they haven't produced a man with the woman, so that's very telling. It, it shows you the patriarchy that's alive, that um, a man's freedoms are respected whereas a woman's liberties are uh again under a microscope it's sold the same way that being black in america is the same as being a woman in america 
is the same as being Jewish in America, it's the same as being Latino in America, it's the same as being LGBT in America, it's the same as being the other, that if you step outside of the lines of what's thought of as conformity, you can expect a microscope on you um, to try and see what you're doing wrong while the same people who put out the microscope largely act exempt from the same rules that they're trying to put on other people, much like the Pharisees here. So, but they found a woman in adultery. There's nothing mentioned of a man that she was caught with her. And they called her out, put her in front and center, and uh, saying that since she was caught in the act, what does Jesus think they should do to her? Um, verse 4, they, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. So they're really upset. They're in their feelings that apparently she was caught twirling with the guy actively. Uh, verse 5, Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? So the Moses they're referring to is the same um, Ten Commandments Moses. And the commandments uh, that they're referring to, um, they're, con in they're including... Um, in the commandments that they're reciting, um, part of their dogmas, some of the sort of ordinances and things that have risen that arose after Moses gave the Ten Commandments. So Moses gave the Ten Commandments. One of them was, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." Now, look, um, that seems plain enough on its face, but remember that it's not. Um, that cut and dry. A man wasn't allowed to have as many wives, side pieces, prostitutes, and even in some cases, boys, males, um, as sexual partners, as outlets, as he wanted to, as he could afford, as long as they didn't already belong to, like property, like enslaved people, like everyone who's the other is truly the same at the end of the day. Um, he was allowed to have as many of those as, those as he wanted to Whereas the woman was not allowed to do um, just as freely with her sexuality and have as many husbands as she wanted to um, and um, be free to do that. So the adultery, in a sense, applied in different ways to different people. Here you're seeing the woman is the only one being uh, brought up on charges, whereas the man isn't even mentioned. Um, and they know very well what the consequence is um, in the case of the adultery is that she's to be stoned to death, I believe is what it says in the um, so-called law in the Old Testament. Um, so that dispels another uh, thing that some teachers, preachers, whatever you want to call them, will say when it comes to Jesus and the crucifixion. Although the people who crucified Jesus under their uh, religious uh, law were the same people of the religion uh, that Jesus, they were people of the same religion Jesus was being, was born into, the Jewish people, in other words, a sect of them, they're not the actual ones who carried out the death penalty on Jesus. Um, so that's where the anti-Semites uh, make another mistake. If they're going to try to be hateful of the people who killed Jesus, if they really want to use that as their uh, justification, then they're overlooking the fact that it's actually Italians, the Roman people, who um, were behind Jesus' actual crucifixion. Um, and some preachers, again, will say that um, the religious authorities didn't have any authority to bring about the crucifixion, to bring about the killing of Jesus. 
Well, that's clearly not true because we just read in chapter five, verse five just now, that they're willing, perfectly, perfectly willing to flex their uh, authority on killing people uh, for who violate their uh, religious laws because they were just about ready to stone the woman to death. And they're asking Jesus, please, please, please let us be the ones to throw the stones and kill her. That's what the religious people are saying here in verse five, verse six. And they, they're the ones who are helping lead people to God, supposedly. Verse six, this they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So the narrator, presumably John, is letting us know what the intent of the confrontation by the religious leaders is that they're trying to catch Jesus in his words. And the narrator, again, presumably John, this is John the Apostle, um, who's uh, credited with the book of John here and all it's named for him, um, who's passing on the message, the gospel message to us here, is letting us know Jesus' response to them and their accusations about the woman being caught in adultery. And now he went on continuing continuing to do what it is he felt like doing and that's writing on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear so letting us know whatever he was writing didn't wasn't immediately obviously related to whatever it is they were serving up to him or jesus that is verse seven so when they continued asking him he raised himself up and said to them he who is without sin among you let him throw a stone at her first so again, clearly Jesus' response of what he, Jesus, whatever Jesus was writing on the ground wasn't clearly responsive to what it is they were asking him because they continued asking him, what's up? What should we do? Can we please kill her? And so now that he um, raised himself up, he responded to what they're saying, uh, what their intent is, and he tells them, sure, go ahead. Whoever is sin-free among you, kill her. Go ahead and throw the stone at her first. You be the first one to kill her. Um, so unless someone is hellbound and happy about it, then before they threw that stone, they probably realized, you know, if I throw this stone at her, God only knows what's on my heart and what's in my history and what it is I've been up to. I better not tempt God if that's even a possibility and being the one to throw that stone at her first. Um, So verse eight, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So he said what he had to say. He told them what to do if they really want to kill her. Go ahead and do it if you're the one who is without sin. So let's see how they responded to that. Verse nine, then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So just like that, Jesus cleared the room. They were all ready to uh, pull up and bring about the death penalty. Just like so many Bible thumpers in modern times think it's righteous to pull the plug on people's lives. Lives that they claim are sacred and valuable when the life is uncertain and in the womb. But once it's here, they feel like someone has the authority to tell when that life should end someone other than the person who possesses that life themselves so they're against euthanasia if you want to think of it that way assisted suicide probably better said they're against that someone choosing when they're ready to be done but they're all for taking out someone's life 
and the death penalty on people in a system that's already been clearly shown to be flawed and very much racist where innocent people are uh, routinely killed. So how can you not believe that there's blood on the hands of anyone who thinks that's okay in a country? God willing, everyone in the country doesn't get uh, have the blood on their hands for um, living under a country that believes that's okay. But for sure, uh, uh, those who definitely vote for it and say that's okay, that innocent people are routinely put to death by the state and it's still okay to keep doing it. That means you must be okay with it when it happens to you. And God willing, it happens to you so that you have the chance to realize, okay, that really is wicked. That really is not righteous. Just like people who think it's okay what happened to George Floyd. If you really think it's okay, if you really believe it's all right, then pray that it happens to you. Let a day come where uh, your lights are put out, your light is extinguished by someone you're paying to protect and serve you uh, while people watch and it's videotaped and circulated around the world. If you really believe it's okay, then let it happen to you. And then real quickly, you'll suddenly be woke, as they say. You'll say, okay, it's not righteous. That's not okay. And then maybe things will change. Let's see. So anyway, verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to a woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? So um, we saw where one by one it cleared out because people realized they can't throw that stone at anyone because we've all sinned. Um, and now no one's left there condemning the woman. So Jesus is addressing her, comforting her. Um, I don't know why, but it brings to mind the time when I've, I've, it's happened multiple times at family gatherings, been surrounded by people who supposedly love you and support you, but time and time again, am confronted by an, an ugly scene made by someone who feels it's their place to tell me how I'm an offense to life just by my existence. And I'm putting it as diplomatically as I can. Trust me, it was said in much worse, uh, vulgar, vile terms than that. Uh, but on this platform, I'm not going to just say those sort of things. And they're not words I even use in my uh, conversation anyway. Um, so I wouldn't want to empower that. Anyway, verse 10, when Jesus erased himself up and saw that no one was there, he's addressing the woman, asking her, so who's pointing the finger at you now, girl? Who's got it in for you now? Who's the one that wants to kill you? Verse 11, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So Jesus is saying, here it is, judgment day, and you've been judged, and it's you're still alive. Just don't keep sinning. Keep it moving. People are in no place to condemn you and cast a stone at you. That won't stop people from doing it. Trust me, I've had people literally throw stones and harder materials, bullets at me before in the past. So it won't stop people from doing it, but that does not make them righteous in doing so. Um, and so in her case, she got rescued just in the nick of time by Jesus. The guy escaped scot-free, um, whether uh, he's the one who was married to someone else, almost certainly that wasn't the issue. Most likely she was married to some other man. Uh, so in that way belonged to him 
and so in that sense was committing adultery and so then if she had gotten pregnant by her dalliance with the strange guy who didn't wasn't uh, called out then they wouldn't know who the daddy was so that's the whole offense you violated the man's property the patriarchy and him owning her coochie so that's the offense where that she'd have to ordinarily die for but she's rescued by the non-patriarchal jesus himself verse 11 she said no one more and so jesus let her know he's not in the business of condemning her either and he told her keep it moving just don't sin again verse 12 presumably he knows um that doesn't mean she's not ever going to sin at all in any way again presumably he's talking about the uh uh, sin, the adultery that she was involved in that nearly cost her her, cost her her life. Verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So now Jesus is making it clear to us all that he's the light of the world, um, not the sun that rises every day, not just the spirit of a man that searches all the inner depths of his heart. He's the light of the world, I think, in a sense, in the grand, uh, grand big picture of things, sense of if you're not, if the only way, anything the opposite of him is darkness and existing in darkness. And that if we're not with him, then you are walking in that darkness. But if we walk with him, then we have the light of life. Verse 3, the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness to yourself. Your witness is not true. So the Pharisees like, Pharisees like, girl, I won't believe you. You're out there tooting your own horn. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness to myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. Jesus said, well, hold on. Uh, I'm not tooting my own horn but even if i were doing that uh, i am entitled to because it turns out i know where what my path is i know i came from above and i'm down here with y'all and i know that my next destination at least on the way is heading back up there again um whereas we don't know that we try to are, are trying to figure out what life's about verse 15 you judge according to the flesh i judge no one so Jesus is making it clear what they're doing wrong is judging by human standards, by what we think is uh, righteous and wickedness. Um, whereas Jesus himself, the one who's able to pass judgment, isn't passing judgment at all. Like, for instance, with the woman who uh, was just caught in adultery, he could have said, yeah, she's wrong for that. Just let me be the first to stone her. Uh, my daddy gave you that law. I'm the one who told you to write it down. If people really wanted to believe that it was God giving out the, the ordinances and statutes that have been tagged on to those Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments just said, thou shalt not commit adultery. It didn't say anything about carry out the death penalty if you are caught in adultery. It said, thou shalt not lie. It didn't say stone you to death if you're caught in a lie. It said, thou shalt not kill. It didn't say put you in the de in the electric chair if you're caught killing someone. It doesn't say talk about the penalties at all. It talks about God's prohibitions on different acts and different behaviors. And it's the prohibitions that Jesus affirmed in the red letters as we read them. And God, God's self, 
even from the very beginning um, in Genesis uh, lets us know how God feels about death penalty. You don't have to look any further than the very first book and the very first chapter in the very first book. Um, and the very first book, we were introduced to Cain, um, who takes the life of his own brother. And in thinking that he was going to face the death penalty by other people who are alive on earth, already existing then, created even before Adam, uh, created for sure before Eve, but she wasn't created until she was extracted from Adam, according to those first few chapters in Genesis, not me, according to what it says. Um, and yet, and yet, people still uh, think it's okay to pass judgment, even death penalties on people, even though Cain thought he was going to face the death penalty, but God said no, no death penalty for you and anybody who can, goes after you for the death penalty. I'm paraphrasing here, I think it's Genesis chapter 4, that um, it's going to be seven times worse for them. Um, but you can look it up yourself or read along with us here on The Naked Truth in Context. They're indexed by chapter and verse. Just look back on Genesis and read along with us. Let's see if it's your first time reading with us. Verse 16, and yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I'm not alone, but I'm with the Father who sent me. So Jesus is saying he's not here to judge, but even if he were to judge, he'd be righteous in his judgment because God is with him in the judgment. Verse 17, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. So Jesus is saying, well, the same law that you're citing, this in the modern terms would be the same Bible that you're thumping. It says in there that if you have two witnesses, um, then the uh, witness that whatever it is they're saying, it must be true because you got two men willing to testify that it's true. Jesus is saying he's one and he's saying God is with him as number two. Or God is with him as number one and he's number two. Verse 18, I'm one who bears, oh, there it is. I'm one who bears witness of myself and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. So Jesus is saying, there's your two witnesses, since according to your own law, that's what it takes for something to be true. Verse 19, and they said to him, where's your father? Jesus answered, you don't neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. So they're basically clowning Jesus. Like, uh, are you imagining things? Are you hallucinating? Where's your daddy at? You're saying it's you and your father. Where's your father? They're like, we don't see him. What's going on? Can you produce him? Verse 20. But Jesus is letting them know they don't know him and they don't know uh, God the Father either. And they're saying if and Jesus is telling them they were really about righteousness, not only would they know God, they recognize the one that the scriptures God gave them as they say they believe, pointed to Jesus coming. And there he is right there in front of them. Verse 20. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. So narrator is letting us know Jesus has survived another confrontation with the religious authorities and that in the confrontation uh, he escaped with his life. They didn't put their hands on him. That's they tried to before. We read about it here. Verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. For I go, you cannot come. So Jesus is making it clear. He's keeping it moving. He's come to bring us the message God sent him to bring us, and he's going to keep it moving. 
probably, uh, at least according to the scriptures, depending on if you believe what they're saying, uh, to the hereafter, to the afterworld, to let people know there, this page has been turned in the history of time, and you have a chance to take part in it and find salvation, at least if you believe some of the other things that come later in the Bible. Um, but Jesus is letting the people walking with him alive, right? They know that, um, and not friends of his, the religious people are confronting him, that his mission is going to continue. And whether they believe it or not, if they don't believe it, they're going to die in their sins and not find their way to where it is he's going, letting us know something else there, that everyone doesn't go to the same place. Everyone isn't going to a place called paradise, um, which invokes thoughts of relaxation and leisure and ease. Um, some preachers will tell you that same paradise is hell also. When Jesus makes it clear, as we've gone over before in Luke 16, uh, that the rich man went to hell, the poor man, Lazarus, whose name uh, went to that other place where he was at ease. So everyone doesn't go to the same place, even though preachers will tell you otherwise. Jesus just made it clear here. Where I go, you cannot come. So clearly, the place where Jesus goes in the afterlife, they're not making it to. Not only they're not making it to, they cannot go there. Verse 22. So the Jews said, well, so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. So it says the Jews, it's talking about the people who were born into the same religion Jesus was. At some of them from, who live there in the area, but I believe also others who are of the different tribes of the same family when the soul uh, when the prophesied stick of the two of them being divided into two uh, was reunited we've been over all that before it's talking about the people in the area who also happen to probably be of the same religion jesus was born into they're wondering what's he talking about where he's going they cannot come they think they're asking is he going to kill himself Presumably, presumably because they believe if he kills himself, he'll go someplace else. In modern times, people think if you kill yourself, it's a death sentence to hell because you don't have a chance to repent. I don't believe that's necessarily the case. I believe Jesus shows us the example of the um, uh, people uh, being tormented by their demons, uh, getting an exorcism where Jesus cast the demons out of them. The demons asked to go into a herd of swine and Jesus permit them to and the herd of swine kill themselves. They um, rush into the sea and drown themselves according to the narrative. Um, when they're dealing with their demons, they committed suicide. I think that that's God's way of showing us that similar, similarly for people, some people can't deal with the different demons they're facing in their life. Some of the demons they create and feed and fuel themselves alcoholism, substance abuse, and bad habits and such, and some they don't. Some are inflicted on them, uh, accidents and uh, bad relationships, bad decisions, um, addictions, things like that can happen. And I think that um, different people react to them different ways, but um, the killing themselves doesn't mean they're damned to hell, whether they get a chance to repent for that or not. It's the repentance that saves us according to what Jesus tells us when he gives us the example of the ones who the tower of Siloam fell and killed them or the ones who are persecuted by the government and basically fricassee alive 
Um, Jesus says, says, no, they weren't worse sinners than all the other people who their contemporaries, that, but unless we repent, we, they, you will all likewise perish. So um, that's the message, repent, ask forgiveness, recognize when we're wrong, don't be too big to admit it and say, I'm sorry, repent, whether it's to God, to our brother, each other, ourselves. Um, don't be too big to recognize where you made a mistake and repent. Um, so anyway, they're asking, well, is he going to try and kill himself? Um, so is that where he's going to go that we're not going to follow him or be able to get to? Verse 23, and he said to them, you're from beneath. I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. So many times, even though Jesus isn't a part of the conversation, he seems to be able to understand, read minds, or hear somehow what it is people are discussing, thinking, even feeling sometimes. And he shows it with the things he says. And so he's letting them know that they think they're high and mighty and lofty, but it turns out they're from a place that's beneath where he's from. He's from on high. He's from above the heavens, God Almighty. They're of this world. Um, and we've already gone into what this world means um, as far as how the effect that it has in the wild, wild, wild card sort of role it seems to play in the big picture and grand scheme of things, as Jesus tells us in the Gospels. Um, Jesus is letting us know he's from someplace higher, a higher plane, a different place. Verse 24, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So Jesus is making it clear that if uh, people don't accept his role as the Savior, that's a choice. Um, but if you choose that, then it's your death. It's to your own uh, demise. It's to your own peril um, in making that choice. Um, that it's your very sins that will cost you your life. Uh, verse 25, then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. So um, they don't believe, um, they don't know what to believe or who to believe that Jesus is. So they're asking him uh, again, well, plainly, who are you? So I guess they're interested. They want him to say that he's either the prophet or the Messiah or just plainly say, I'm the son of God. They want to hear who it is he proclaims himself to be. And he's saying, my message hasn't changed. It's been consistent from start to finish. And I'll say, unlike the entire Bible, it is not consistent from start to finish, but the red letters are, for the most part, as far as I can tell, very much consistent. Verse 26, I have many things to say in the judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. So Jesus is saying there, if he wanted to, he could call you out for all sorts of things, all kinds of skeletons in your closet that he knows exists there that you've um, uh, concealed from other people that other people don't know about. But uh, he knows what's in your uh, history. He could pull up what's on your phone. He knows what paths you've taken uh, between heading to work and heading home and vice versa. Jesus knows all those things and it's up to you 
to reflect on them and say, you know what, I was wrong for doing this. I was showing up wrong for doing that. And repent for it. Uh, if you don't repent for it, again, like Jesus tells us with the people who fell into sudden disaster, with the tower falling on them, or being persecuted by the government uh, and killed that way, um, the same thing can happen to you. Uh, verse 27, they did not understand it. He spoke to them of the Father. So the narrator here, again, presumably John is letting us know it's gone over their heads. They don't know he's talking to them about God Almighty. Verse 28, and Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. So I think the lifting up Jesus is talking about here is the crucifixion. He's saying once he's actually crucified, when they've fulfilled their part in the big picture and grand scheme of things of murder, of taking his life, of killing him, of pulling, um, doing the death penalty on the Savior, then they're going to realize, oh, he is the fulfillment of those scriptures that we were talking about. And oh, nobody else is going to come along and fulfill all those different things. And it's been almost 2,000 years later and no one else has. Verse 29, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. So Jesus is saying here that his mission is not is alone someone, whereas people don't always understand or accompany, accompany him along the way. But his mission is not a lonely one because he's not alone. He's walking with God and in the past and ministry and mission that God would have him walk in. The experiences, I think, that God would want to experience in the flesh as a human and gain understanding what it's like for us as humans to go through the walk of life and the things that happen along the way. The love and the hate, the deceit and the betrayal, the uh, forces of nature, the storms of life, the uh, storms at sea, and all the doubting friends, the doubts among believers, all of those things that God might have wanted to experience in the flesh and see, oh, okay, now I see why humans are so horrible because this sort of thing happens and then doubts rush in. Or that sort of thing happens and it's every man for themselves. I understand. Maybe that's what it is that God wanted to experience uh, and did so in the form of Jesus as we know him. Um, so Jesus is making it clear in doing the things he does he's doing those things to please God Almighty the Father verse 30 as he spoke these words many believed in him so Jesus uh, words were convincing to many people verse 31 and Jesus said to those Jews who believed him if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed so the narrator here is telling us, it's not red letters, in other words, that Jesus is now addressing the Jewish people who believed in him. I'm saying, and this isn't red letters either, Jesus is giving this message to them and to whosoever will. He's giving this message to us. that If you abide in his word, we are his disciples indeed. I think that's what Jesus is giving us, a message to the world, that that's what makes us his disciples in abiding and living in, walking and sharing these red letters, his word, not the entire Bible, his words, his part of 
the message that is in the Bible. Uh, again, his his words are in a tenth, a tithe of the entire Bible. And before it and after his message are lots of other different religions, not just one or two. We read about, we're reading about them on our other daily readings here on the Naked Truth. Um, but in this way, this is abiding in, with God and abiding in Christ's words. That's being Christ's disciple. Verse 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So that's why I named, oh, no, that's why, but that's the same message of why I named the last video um, episode of the Naked Truth that we have done on this platform on Anchor um, here. Um, what and I named it what I did, what I did, the Naked Truth shall make you free, free, because I think that sums up the essence of Red Letter Christianity. Christ brings us the actual truth of what it is God would have us know in our uh, approach to our map to salvation. No matter what religion we were introduced to God in or uh, our rejection of whatever religion we uh, have thought about God in, whatever notion it is, whatever seed it is that God has planted to let us know, hey, there's a God. You can choose to pursue it or not. Whatever that case may be, I think that um, these red letters, that the, it's the truth of what we are to know from God Almighty. And so that's why I named that that uh, episode what it did, because I think that's the essence of red letter Christianity, to know the truth. And that truth really does set you free from the dogma of religion. Verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? So um, the religious authorities are saying, look, Buffy, we have never been slaves to anybody, so we don't know what you're talking about uh, being made free. Now, of course, they're denying what we already read about, where uh, for 400 years, their ancestors lived in Africa, in Egypt specifically, and at some point during that uh, diasporatic visit, to the motherland, the continent, the African continent, uh, they were enslaved. They became slaves. So when they're saying uh, they're Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone, then I guess they mean only in their contemporary times where they weren't enslaved then. But in a sense, they may not have been enslaved at, the, at Jesus' time, but they were being occupied by the Roman authorities the same way that American forces occupied different parts of the Middle East um, during the most recent wars in here now, the early 20, uh, early 2000s. Um, in that same way, it is, in a sense, in bondage because you're not exactly free. So uh, maybe they're just being sassy. Let's just see. They're asking him, what do you mean being made free? Because they've always been free. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So Jesus is letting them know. He already told them, if I wanted to, I could call you out for the stuff I know you're guilty of, but that's not why God sent me to come here to um, condemn people. Um, so I won't do that. I'm only going to preach the message that God would have me tell. And thank God he did that because some of the stuff that they're hiding is probably some of the same things that, religious uh, authorities and political authorities 
justified in modern times, not because it's actually sin, but because they think it's sin, so they're ashamed of it, and they keep it in a closet. We know what other things are hidden in closets. And then when those closet doors get burst open, most often by the devil waiting to laugh and gag at it, I think, um, but sometimes by other forces, um, then people get humble real fast and look for mercy and repentance and all that. At least the ones who believe in putting on a show and making a show of righteousness do that. Um, at least when I think about the different televangelists caught in their shenanigans, that's what comes to mind. But um, Jesus is saying, if you're committing sin, then in a sense, it's that sin that binds you. I think in particular, if you're not repentant on that sin, then you're binding yourself. You're oppressing yourself. Verse 35, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. So Jesus is saying, um, even on a plantation, as awful and torturous as those are historically, um, the people who work on the plantation um, are, don't have the same liberties as the sons do. Jesus isn't uh, endorsing slavery here. He already let us know we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. If you think it's okay to force someone to work for free while you terrorize them and rape them and tear apart their families and kill them and lynch them and let yourself get away with it, um, then let that happen to you. Um, it should be okay when it happens to you, if you really believe that that's okay. And then to give people, um, promise people reparations, governmental payment, um, repairs for the things done to you, and then hold out on paying those repayments, reparations to the very enslaved people who you terrorize and think that that's okay, then let it happen to you. It should happen to you. It should happen to you yesterday. So then once you realize how terrible it is, then you'll say things should change. That's not righteous. So anyway, verse 35 lets us know, um, even in the um, slave owner's mind, how the people in the house differ. Verse 36, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So just like when enslaved people were given their papers, their freedom papers, um, the man has told them they're free. Um, and that gave them the legal protection to, um, in case they were accosted by different authorities. It didn't stop them from being accosted by different authorities. In some cases, that's the nice way of putting it. In some cases, they were kidnapped and forced back into slavery, really wicked ways, and their papers torn up. So they were enslaved again. That's American history, and that just calls to mind some of the ways that things like that are being changed and protested in modern times. And I saw recently, before it, it slips my mind, something that anyone who's protesting the wicked ways of this system and this uh, government, keep in mind um, that I saw recently a so-called Karen, a woman out of control, um, so-called so out of control being disrespectful, um, in this story, she's not even a villain, necessarily. Using racial slurs, that's villainous, yes, against someone, uh, then gets assaulted in, on the video, apparently gets assaulted, right there on the video, bust in the mouth, and she was bleeding, and I think she might even lost teeth. 
Now, the people who did it to her were in uniform, so it was a police officer or whatever. But her response is what stood out to me and what I think people should not overlook. If you're a justice warrior, someone who's trying to change the tide of things, use the words that she used when she was attacked like that by an officer. Her, she let them know very succinctly that she was requesting a copy of the footage of her encounter. And you may look it up to see her exact words, but that's what she said. And she said that, I think, because she knows most likely from her connections to white supremacy, just my guess, um, but also connections and knowledge of the law that in order to move the needle when it comes to legal situations um, against, say, the state, you, if you have video evidence of whatever it is that happened to you, one of the steps in getting that evidence is you have to formally request it. So I think that's why she said that she made it clear, said it very clearly that she was requesting a copy of the incident, um, something like that, uh, of the video of the incident. She said it then so that it was caught on video with her saying it and her voice saying it so that it becomes part of the evidence and it's the official first request or a, the first request of someone being taken into custody so it can't be ignored if she formally requested that. So a copy of the video must be preserved from that moment legally. I think that she's creating that protection for herself. So if you're a so-called justice warrior, if you're someone who falls into a bad situation with the police, it may not save your life, but it will, it may protect your so-called rights when it comes to retrieving and documenting what it is that happened to you. Um, so just as a side note, um, verse 37, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill because my word has no place in you. So, um, if you're reading along with me and it's your first time reading with me, then you may have noticed I left out the word me on that verse. So I left that out for a purpose. You can read Matthew 12, 37 to get a better idea to get a fuller context of why, but I don't want anyone killing me. I've had people trying to kill me before, so I definitely don't want to say that part out loud and manifest it. That's it in a nutshell. So that being said, now to the meat of what's being said there. Jesus is telling them that he recognizes their lineage, that they're Abraham's descendants. We read about Abraham. He's uh, what we call Old Testament patriarch. He's um, not necessarily what you might think of a manliest man in modern terms. He um, had his wife face danger uh, to protect his own backside, um, had her pretending to be his sister rather than his wife, and let her be uh, taken into custody by strange men, by foreign men, um, to God only knows what happened to her so that he can be safe. That Abraham, um, he's, Jesus is saying he recognizes that they're descendants of that same Abraham, um, but at the same time, he also recognizes they're trying to kill him. And because his word, his truth, has no part in them, no place in them. Verse 38, I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've seen with your father. So Jesus is saying, we're uh, in a uh, human nature sense, 
we learn our ways at home. We see our, what our parents are doing, the adults around us are doing, and we mimic it and then we repeat it um, as kids and then throughout life. And so Jesus is saying um, he's doing what he learned from God. They're doing what they learned from people. Verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. So Jesus is, has already recognized that he knows they're Abraham's children in the sense of that they're descendants of his. But he's saying at the same time, they are also not doing the same things that he did. They're not even as faithful as he is. And like I said, some of his ways were kind of cowardly, um, you know, just in my opinion. Uh, verse 40, but they're even worse than that. They're not even right that righteous. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. So Jesus is telling them that um, their ways, what they're up to is murderous. They're doing what they can to take somebody's life. And that that's not what Abraham was about. Abraham wasn't going around trying to put out hits on people. Although we read about Abraham in the Sodom and Gomorrah narrative um, and the role he played there and how that whole story um, and uh, narrative got twisted over time. Verse 41, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So it seems in that statement, Jesus is telling them, we'll start with Jesus is saying, that they're not uh, mimicking the things that Abraham did. They're definitely not mimicking the things that the Father, God Almighty, um, did. That's what Jesus is doing, and they're against that. Um, so he's telling them the person they're mimicking is um, their father, and he's not named who that is yet. And so they're telling him, in a sassy moment that um, they're not like him. They weren't born of fornication, meaning Mary and Joseph weren't married when uh, she was pregnant with Jesus. So they, if they're old enough, they probably know about that incident and all of that happening. So they're probably letting them know, uh, we know you're technically illegitimate. So um, we'll know what you're talking about with us being born of fornication or us being uh, not legitimate at birth. And they're saying we are the ones who descended from God. So very, very sassy. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. So Jesus is telling them, no, 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 no. You're not from the same place I am. I'm from God. And I know you're definitely not from him. I know you're not from God. So um, we, so that can't be. And he's saying, because that's where I came from. I proceeded from there and came forth from there. And I know you weren't there. So I know you're not from there. Um, and plus, he sent me here. I didn't just come here because I wanted to, Jesus is saying. Uh, but I was actually sent here by God. Verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. So Jesus is saying, I see that my message is falling on deaf ears, um, but that's not my fault. It's because you're not understanding what it is I have to say. Verse 44, you're of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So Jesus is um, just saying it plainly here that the ways that they're mimicking are the devil's ways. That that's who they're treating as their father in the same way that Joseph, who they just referred to when they said they weren't born of fornication, implying, implying like you were, since again, Joseph and Mary weren't married at the time that she was pregnant with Jesus. Um, she was pregnant with Jesus as a single mama. So that would be looked down upon. And again, presumably some of them know that. So um, they're calling that out. But Jesus is making it clear that in the grand scheme of things, adoptive parent, step parent, or um, birth parent, blood parent, it's all the same in God's eyes because Jesus is making it clear here, though they are Abraham's descendants, they're choosing to have ways like the devil instead. Instead of doing like God the Father, they're doing like the devil would and mimicking the ways of evil and those sort of ways. Whereas Jesus is the stepchild, uh, um, um, adoptive son of Joseph, and a natural son of Mary and son of God as we believe him to be. So um, letting us know that Jesus affirms adoption here and also on the cross, letting us know that those ties in the grand scheme of things are just as important as blood ties, that blood is not necessarily thicker than water. So yeah, the last thing about verse 44 is some preachers will try to say, that this is saying that they're descendants of Cain, the first murderer, and all of that. I think that's clearly a lie, um, because according to those same people, murder has to be premeditated, and that that's um, the prerequisite for the death penalty. But if that's the case, and they say Cain is the first murderer, well, then if you go back and see what happened with Cain, just like I mentioned earlier, after he killed Abel, he was afraid people would try and pull out, take out the death penalty on him. And God forbade it, it, plain and simple. So that lets us know that that whole argument about him being the first murderer um, and that making him eligible for the death penalty is a lie then because God forbade him from having, uh, from facing the death penalty, even as so-called the first murderer. And then uh, so they'll also try to say then that shows that Cain is actually the offspring of Satan and Eve. Like I said before, if that were the case, then Cain would have been a giant, if that were the case. But it doesn't say that Cain was a giant, since according to what's uh, that same belief system, when angels were taking having sex with humans, um, that that resulted in those giants being born. That's what religion says. That's what some people's interpretations of those events in Genesis says. But we went over all of those already. If you want to go through them in context, like I said, it's indexed here on Anchor as clearly as I can make it by um, book, chapter, and verse. Um, if you want to just look it back on it that way, or I'd say just look at the the um, Truth Shall Make You Free, the last video that I did here of the Naked Truth podcast there, um, um, listed there on the site, on the podcast, on Anchor. So anyway, next verse, 45, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. 
So Jesus say, is saying, you're used to wallowing in lies, just like your uh, forefathers did, um, speaking lies, sharing lies, and making up lies to get people to go by. Um, and then because of that, when you hear the truth, you don't know what to believe. Verse 46, which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? So Jesus is saying, so um, which one of you can point out something that he's doing wrong? And then if you point out that he's saying it right, then why is it you're doubting him? What is it? What's the issue? Why is it you're damned if you do, damned if you don't? Why is it you just refuse to accept? Verse 47, he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. So Jesus makes it clear there that only the those of us of his flock will hear what it is he has to say. And those who are not will not. Sort of period. It's a message that just won't be received if it's not meant to be received. And trust me, it clearly is not. Verse 48, then the Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? So now they've gone from um, questions to insults. They're asking Jesus, um, if, if is he okay mentally? Is he mentally disturbed? Is there a demon bothering him? Is he possessed? Uh, verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. So Jesus is saying, no, I'm not possessed by some demon. I'm trying to fulfill what it is God has would have me do. And you are throwing shade at me. Verse 50, and I do not seek my own glory. There's one who seeks and judges. Jesus is saying he's not even out trying to clout chase. He's not out trying to make himself look grand and fabulous. He's really just delivering a message that God would have us know. And that there's only, and that there's one who's actually seeing what's going on and monitoring it, watching to see what it is and judging uh, the outcomes of things and seeing, okay, yeah, they, they deserve that. Or, oh, save that one, help that one. At least that seems to be the understanding I'm getting from what Jesus is saying. Verse 51, most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. So Jesus is saying there, that's a tall order, that in keeping these red letters, that we'll never see death. So presumably that would mean you wouldn't even pass away as far as your flesh dying. Um, so that's a really tall order. That's if it's a if for that to be true, it would mean truly very, very, very few are saved um, in the grand scheme of things of the billions and billions of people who exist and have ever existed. Um, because most everyone at least sees death in one sense, the death of the flesh, where the body dies. Um, some people experience that more than once, say like on the operating room table or um, um, in emergency situations. Um, but Jesus is saying, ne shall never see death in keeping his words. One more reason to cling to these red letters. Verse 52, then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. So they're saying, now we know you're crazy. 
because uh, the prophets are gone, the forefathers are gone, and you're trying to tell us if we keep your word, we'll never see death. Verse 53, are you greater than our father Abraham, who's dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? So they're like, uh, the forefathers are gone, the prophets are gone. Who do you think you are? Verse 54, Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he's your God. So Jesus is saying, I could toot my own horn. I could sit here and tell you how fabulous I am, how I can multiply bread and fish, how I can heal the sick, how I can raise the dead. I could sit here and tell you all those things, um, but if I did, it wouldn't mean anything. Instead, the one who's shining the light on Jesus, saying, hey, check out my baby, is God Almighty. He doesn't need to toot his own horn. God is letting all of the world know through what we have now as the Bible, the scriptures, but even people back then through the actual witnessing of the events that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, hear him, letting us know the one that heed and hear is Jesus. Um, verse 55, yet you've not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep the, and keep his word. So Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be a false witness like you, saying that I have the word of God. He's saying, here's what uh, thus says the Lord when God didn't actually say that. Instead, Jesus is delivering us the red letters hot off the press from God Almighty, God's self, for us to understand and know. Um, whereas the others are teaching dogma, teaching things to herd you into a belief system religion and it's not the same thing as we've gone over before um and so jesus is saying that's the delineation between the truth that he's teaching and the lies that they're spewing verse 56 your father abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad so some people will say that this was when abraham encountered someone named melchizedek that that melchizedek was actually jesus showing up in the old testament uh, and uh, some of those same preachers will say Jesus was also in the kettle, in the lion's den, in the fiery furnace with the uh, Hebrew boys also in the Old Testament. And those same preachers will tell you then that the second coming of Jesus is yet to come. Well, if by their count, that would at least be the fourth coming since those other two comings happened in the Old Testament. And then the third would have been the nativity that we read about in the Gospels of the New Testament. So coming again another time would be the forthcoming if we're to go by what those people bible thumpers tell you is god appearing jesus appearing in the old testament i don't believe that's the case but again that's what religion will tell you what jesus is saying here i believe is this is a part of uh, what jesus mentions the same abraham in the gospel of luke chapter 16 where he talks about those same people i mentioned earlier the rich man and Lazarus when they passed away. Um, the rich man went to hell, burning in flames, tormented in literal flames, begging for water to cool his tongue. Literal flames, even though some preachers will twist that around and change that. It says it right there. Um, whereas Lazarus, the poor man, was taken not to heaven specifically, but instead to this person Abraham's bosom. That That's where um, Jesus says that 
um, Abraham, um, that Lazarus went to after he passed away. So presumably it's at that same place that um, since Jesus uh, in after while uh, after being crucified tells someone who has a sort of eleventh uh, hour conversion on the cross being crucified alongside him decides you are the savior and find salvation in Jesus tells him today you'll be with me in paradise um, and some preachers will even twist that little phrase into saying something else which makes it mean something else Jesus makes it clear there that not everyone goes to the same place when they die otherwise he wouldn't need to tell that person that you'll be with me there in paradise and also um, if it's the same place that Lazarus went to when he died then it's to this same Abraham's bosom a place that sounds a lot like heaven but it's not called heaven and neither place again features God there or the devil there in Luke 16 even though some preachers some religions will tell you to be absent from the flesh is to be present with the Lord not apparently not not according to Jesus um, so anyway that's Luke 16 if you want to read it yourself but I believe it's linked to the same Abraham here where Jesus is saying that Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. That's past tense. That means at some point in the past to the point here of uh, John eight fifty six, Abraham, the dead patriarch, saw Jesus' day, saw his coming, saw his, the events of his ministry and was glad about it. So how can that be possible? Verse 57, then the Jews said to him you're not yet 50 years old have you seen abraham so they're like abraham's in uh long gone he's in the distant history he's mentioned in the very first book of uh, his life story is mentioned in the very first book of the bible so we see here and that's in the old testament we see here this is the fourth book of the new testament just to give you an idea of how long ago it is that abraham exists in the narrative of things so they're saying there's no way you were around to experience Abraham. You're not even 50. And Abraham happened ages ago. They're like, um, how can that be? Um, verse 58, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So I think what Jesus is telling us there is that no without a doubt that's what the most assuredly part is about that no without a doubt what i'm telling you here is fact 100 percent facts that before abraham was meaning before abraham walked the earth and had his um part in the big picture and grand scheme of things i already existed i already am that means in the past i existed in the future i exist and before then I existed and after then I will exist so that God Jesus is timeless I think is what Jesus is saying here so that it's a small thing for Abraham to have experienced him for Noah to have experienced him for anyone in what we call the Old Testament to have experienced him and for us also to experience him in our modern walk of Christianity as the few in the flock that follow his voice so how, did, how will they take that kind of announcement that he's timeless, he's ageless, he exists outside of time? Verse 59, then they took up stones to throw at him. 
But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. So apparently they forgot the message, the lesson they learned already when they tried to stone the woman just a moment ago who they caught in adultery. And then they changed their minds when they realized, wait a minute, we're sinful too. We can't pass any judgment on her because next thing you know, it'll be passing judgment on you. So they knew they couldn't continue it that way. Apparently they forgot just that quick because by what Jesus said, set them off so badly, they picked up the stones again. And this time they want to kill him. They've already tried to throw him off a cliff before. Now they want to try and stone him to death. But Jesus, um, and it, it what reads like a miraculous escape, it's not red letters. He didn't say anything, but instead he said what he had to say, that most assuredly I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Then he got up out of there. He supernaturally escaped the danger of the situation because they took up stones to throw at him, but somehow he miraculously, miraculously hid himself. So presumably he stepped into another dimension the way that's described in um, one of the gospels after the crucifixion when he appears to the disciples there in a locked room with the doors shut and all of a sudden he's able to appear to them um, in a physical form because he breaks bread and eats with them. So um, it's not just a spiritual form that he appears to them. Here also, it's what I think of as a phase change sort of existence that he exists in. He's either able to change forms, and that sounds crazy and out there you know, because it'd be a human being able to do it. But in reality, other elements of nature are able to do that also. Change phase. Think of the most basic one, water. It's able to be liquid, then it's able to be frozen and become solid. Then if the temperature is right, it's able to become gaseous, all the same element, and then able to turn back around and become liquid again. So it's not that crazy to think that um, someone can master those sort of phase, cha phase changes also, especially when, when you consider, and I'll end on this, the fact that the body itself is mostly water. So um, I love you. Thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope it's a blessing for you and hope to see you again next time. Peace be with you.